Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Welcome to Fandom Power. everybody and uh, welcome back to uh, fandom power the little show that we like to do here where we get to talk about all kinds of like fancy and and not so fancy uh, nerd properties but uh, and i mean that in the most loving way because i think we're probably two of the bit well i'm one of the biggest nerds i know yeah same there <laughs> last week we had a really good time i had a fantastic time doing the uh, our top 10 uh film movies yeah nice. film scores i thought that was uh or, or soundtracks i should say not scores our top 10 uh movie soundtracks had a really really good time with that uh not surprisingly youtube copyright struck the crap out of it yep. <laughs> not they a big deal they didn't take it down so no they did it and then lost. i did try to i tried to use the the available tools to clean it up which takes away from the listening experience uh unfortunately but uh if you haven't uh, noticed this week on our social media i did put out a complete uh spotify playlist with all of our selections so if you want to check out all the signature tracks that we picked from the uh, soundtrack episode you can find that on spotify just uh, search for uh, fandom power with the exception of one of my really weird ones well it was the only one that wasn't available and uh, so this week, uh, keeping in that theme, we thought, and, and if you were with us last week, we kind of talked about this. We hinted at it. We're going to go a little different this week. We're going to go uh, top 10 television theme songs. So this is our uh, this is our take on the uh, top 10 best television theme songs of all time, as chosen by uh, myself and Andy. Yep. And uh, once this is over, uh, we'll have a full uh, playlist for you uh, put up as well. So you'll be able to uh, check those out if you want to listen to them. And hey, playlists are good. They are. Uh, so oh, where do we want to start? I mean, we're going to start at the bottom, obviously. But uh, last week, what did we say? We took out uh, nothing that, well, there really wasn't anything omitted. I took out musicals. Yeah. Biopics. Um this week we kind of shied away from like the more Saturday morning cartoonish. It's more anything that was aimed direct, yeah, aimed. things that were like sp- aimed specifically at children. I think were kind of like mm, let's maybe save That's that a for whole a, other show. Let's save that for next week when we do cartoons. Yep. <laughs> next next week when we do cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know about you. My list has a little splash of uh, everything. Yeah, same with me. I've got uh, I've got some drama, I've got some action, I got sitcom, and I even managed to squeeze in a game show. Nice. Um, 
when you were going through the list, I don't know about you, but I was wholly shocked when I, because first of all, I mean, the, the brainstorming process, I just started throwing stuff out. What TV theme songs do I just like? Yeah. Like what's stuck with you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, shocking how many of them were sitcoms <laughs> and i'm like wow this is really sitcom heavy i don't want to turn this into the sitcom uh the sitcom yeah content. yeah yeah so i i put some more thought into it i went into some other genres that i liked and i think i've got a it's probably as eclectic as it was last week but yet fans of our show i don't think you will find anything on at least on my top 10 that is uh, uncharacteristic of what you think i would like all right, so uh, I led last week. You want to go and uh, lead this week? Yeah, either way. All right, well, let's get everything queued up here for us. All right, uh, so uh, number 10 on my list this week is Unsolved Mysteries. Nice. Here we go. The- Disclaimer, I kept the clips uh, like to like five seconds or less this week. Yeah, hopefully we can squeeze through. You need. Hopefully we can squeeze it through. <laughs> yeah, so that one is titled The Unsolved Mysteries Theme. Uh, it's composed by Michael Boyd and Gary Malkin. And Malkin and Boyd have, they're on record saying that they came up with the basic elements of the composition in just a few hours. Oh, wow. And the song, it relies heavily on an interval called the tritone. I'm so, not a musician, so like that so doesn't mean anything to me. Not much to me either, but you know, the three beat, the three repetitive tones. Oh yeah. Okay. So okay. Uh, in the studio, they would go on to work with a synthesis named Charles judge. Yeah. And he added the sweeping and sliding pitch blends and really brought the track home. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Malkin told the LA times at one point that the duo used to get letters all the time from parents saying, could you please change the theme music? Our children, Our children are terrified are of it. <laughs> uh, it really did put the fear into viewers for almost two decades. Listen, I, I'm not going to lie. I was one of them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the show. And by the way, Robert Stack is a Transformers legend. So, of course, I was going to be watching it. But, uh, yeah, that theme song. It did. It gave you, like, the exhilarating thrill, the rush that you knew you were going to see something spooky. I got the heaps off it for sure. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Familiar elements of it have been incorporated into the theme for the new Netflix reboot. Oh, I haven't uh, watched that yet. Which is composed by Wes Dylan Thordson. Uh, it, it's, it's got the tone to it, but it doesn't, it just doesn't match up to the original. Interesting. Like I, I, they did good. They, they did their best, but I have, it's funny you say that because I've got some stuff on my list. That's like, Oh, in the world of reboots, like you didn't quite nail it. Yeah. They didn't quite capture that original magic. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, for collectors out there in 2018, Terror Vision released a limited pressing of the music from the original run in a two-volume vinyl collection. Oh, nice. Available in a variety of colors, all curated from the original tapes. Oh, really? By Ryan Grayface. So you can finally bring home all that music in all its eerie glory. <laughs> oh, and then what? Just like roll it out for Halloween? Or roll what? it out for Halloween or a casual Sunday. <laughs> cool. My son likes to listen to it in the car at some points. Okay, well, listen, that brings me to my number 10. And uh, I'm just going to go out one more time in case you forgot it the other 17 million times I've said it. Um, Although we are not a Star Wars show, uh, I'm giving my number 10 slot to the theme song from The Book of Boba Fett. Nice. (laughs) 
I don't know what it is about that song it that just me off guard the first time I heard it, but it builds into something epic. So this might be a contrary, uh, a contrary opinion, but I actually like the Boba Fett theme more than the Mandalorian theme. Really? Yeah, I, I really do. So this one uh, is composed by uh, Swedish-born uh, Ludwig Göransson, who, believe it or not, is actually named after Beethoven. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Goranson actually has a, a pretty solid resume of uh, film and TV scores. And prior to uh, working on Star Wars, he actually established a really strong working sh- uh, working relationship with Ryan Coogler, hmm. having uh, scored uh, Fruitville Station, Creed 1 and 2, and the score to Black Panther, uh, a score for which he won the 2019 Academy Award for Best Original Score. Uh, and he also scored Tenet for Christopher Nolan. Nice. Uh, and then other TV work uh, includes the scores for Community, New Girl, and of course, uh, the aforementioned Mandalorian, another award-winning score for which he won the Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Music Composition for a Series. Um, but this is kind of cool. Gorenson is also a producer, and he's frequently collaborated with Donald Glover under his Childish Gambino stage name, and he's won uh, two Grammy Awards for that. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, why is this one my number 10? Well, I don't know, man. That The chanting in that is just kind of, it hooked me, and it kind of carried me through the whole thing. And like I said, I, I like it even more than the Mandalorian theme. And I think when you when you put the music up against the themes and the motifs of the series... It's to me, it's a near perfect blend of Western and space fantasy mixed in with some period epic and indigenous music. Yeah. And I think it really captures the the essence of the show. Uh, it's probably of well, not all of them, but it's one of the best themes that just that, that doesn't have any lyrics that does ca- sort of capture the essence of what the show really is and that whole rebirth and desert power and all those you know, Dune and uh, Dune analogies that we made on our review series really come through in the music. And that's why it's my number 10. Nice. Where are you at now? We're going to number nine. Number nine. Uh, My number nine is the theme song for married with children. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. Oh my gosh. Where'd I put it? Uh, There it is. Love and marriage. Love and marriage. Yeah. Like he says, love and marriage by Frank Sinatra. Uh, written by Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Hoosen. The song was recorded by Frank Sinatra August 15th, 1955. Oh, wow. And was then introduced in a 1955 television production of Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Oh. Uh, it would appear on his 1956 album, This Is Sinatra, under the Capitol Records label. But he would go on to record it a second time on October 11th, 1965 for the reprise records release a man and his music, but it would be the first version under the Capitol records that would eventually go on to become the theme song for married with children. Oh, wow. Uh, as one of the longest lasting live action sitcoms on Fox, it was twice considered the worst show on television for both the 1995 and 96 and 96, 97 seasons by the parents television council group. Oh, of course. And they called the show the <laughs> crudest comedy on primetime might still be up there. I, I, I bet you it's in the top five. I would say so. Uh, it's been released on home media twice. Uh, once by Sony who for season three and onward did not have the rights to the song. So it got replaced. What? Yeah. On the, so wait on the home media release. 
for season three and up. Do you know what they replaced it with? I am not fully sure. Probably uh, just generic filler music. If anybody there in the uh, that's watching live right now knows the answer to that, drop us a line in the comments because I'd really like to know. And if you don't, I'm going to go and research it anyway. <laughs> we'll find out. But in 2013, Mill Creek Entertainment acquired the rights to the show as well as the song, and they re-released the entire thing July 7th, 2015 in its entirety doesn't that like tie into what we were talking about last week though about with you know 80s movie soundtracks and how remember i said it's they're like generally full of guys and and uh of musicians you never heard of yeah that just make us they, they make a career out of just doing film and tv so that you don't have to pay like huge huge uh royalties or licensing fees to get yeah. this the music i mean a sinatra song can't be cheap no but uh, that that issue is going to come up a bunch of times through my list tonight. <laughs> Oddly enough, no surprise. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, wow. Over to me. Oh boy. Uh, okay. This one uh, may not be. Uh, oh man. Did you expect this one when I mentioned it? Uh, not really. But okay, this is again. I can't argue it. This is kind of an exception because I know we're going to do cartoons next week, but this one gets a pass because. The Flintstones, uh, the Flintstones is actually the first uh, animated series that was actually made for prime time and not specifically aimed uh, at children. So Flintstones for me at number nine, and it sounds a little bit like this. So the the song, the Flintstones, or Meet the Flintstones, was written by a, a gentleman by the name of Hoyt Curtin. But also, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera had their input on it as well. So, um, and like a lot, talking about things that are going to come up again, a lot, like a lot of the composers on this list, we could probably do an entire show on the cartoon themes that Hoyt Curtin has written over yeah. the years. There is so many of them. Uh, but I think, you know, most of you, at least I know I do, uh, you guys all probably know who uh, Hannah and Barbara are. Oh, and as we get our first comment coming in from Steve, who says that every kid watched the Flintstones. Yes, they do. You are absolutely right, sir. Uh, Steve's I, actually celebrating a birthday this week. Oh, happy birthday, Steve. Thanks for uh, joining us on the show again. I used to run home at lunchtime. Just and, so you can watch. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, and I lived close enough to the school that if I really, really boogied, I'd, I'd only miss about, you know, seven or eight minutes, right? But cool, it was, you know, have my sandwich and watch the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, as I was saying about Hannah and Barbera, I mean, we we know who they are. I mean, the the legendary cartoon creators. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. Hoyt Curtin actually was kind of the go-to man for a lot of those old Hanna-Barbera uh, theme tunes. And those, uh, they include shows like Top Cat, The Jetsons, uh, Johnny Quest, Super Friends. Ooh. Josie and the Pussycats, the Smurfs, and this one kind of got me. Hoyt Curtin did every Scooby-Doo theme song between 1973 and 1986. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like I said, uh, primetime animation owes everything to the Flintstones as they were, like, the very first. Even today, there are only five other primetime animated series that have actually surpassed it. Obviously, The Simpsons, King of the Hill, Family Guy, American Dad, and Bob's burgers huh. which i'm not a fan of but hey that's not bad so uh meet the flintstones it's the song that's uh, synonymous with the show and it's probably the one that everyone remembers because even uh, you know later on like in syndication they actually put that song on the front of of every episode but it wasn't the original theme song 
Now, the original theme uh, is actually a song called Rise and Shine that, stylistically speaking, is more like the Bugs Bunny Overture. You remember the Bugs Bunny Overture? Yes. This is it tonight's the night. Yeah, you know that one. Yeah, yeah. And it actually was used on the beginning of the first two seasons from 1960 to 1962. Cool thing about the Flintstones, if you go back and you, and I think some of the stuff's still on YouTube, you can go back and you can watch. Because it was a primetime show, some of the primetime sponsorships were like, winston cigarettes so there's like there's like a, a cartoon commercials of fred and barney you know smoking winston's i love a good winston hey bon yeah that's not aimed at kids I no hope. no not at all <laughs> so meet the flintstones was recorded with a 22 piece big band nice. uh conducted by hoyt Curtin himself and uh, the lyrics were sung by a group called the randy van horn singers who actually still are going today it's clearly not the same bunch of people, New but blood in yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and again, like I said, Coit, uh, Hoyt Curtin did a lot of the composing for the Hanna-Barbera stuff and the Randy Van Horn singers actually did most of the singing for them. So it's kind of this like hand in hand relationship. Now it's actually thought that uh, the Meet the Flintstones actually takes some inspiration from Beethoven's Piano Sonata, number 17, The Tempest. I'm going to play a little bit of that for you because I see if you can hear it. First of all, let's go back and have a, no, here, I'll do this for, do the Beethoven one first. Here, have a listen to this. And then it takes off and goes a different way. Yeah. So then, I mean, it's kind of there a little bit up tempo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here's a fun fact about uh, about the show and about the song. Prior to becoming the theme song in 1963, Meet the Flintstones was available on the 78 RPM children's record, Songs of the Flintstones, as the A-side to the original theme of Rise and Shine. Hmm. All right, so that brings me down to uh, why is it number nine on my list? Well, the Flintstones, uh, hands down, is my earliest uh, TV memory. Uh, and the show remained a staple of my uh, viewing habits, like all the way through grade school, most of high school uh, and beyond. I I actually have every season on DVD. <laughs> I bought the single season releases, so uh, that took me a while to get those uh, together. But I, I still love the show to this day. I think it's one of the greatest cartoons ever made. And because of that Stone Age setting, like of all the the classic cartoons, Every time they roll out a new Flintstones thing, it kind of works because that Stone Age setting, right? It's easy to, you know, the, the when they when the show went on the air, like that was the the shell on top of the the, the rock telephone. But even yeah. now, like they've done like modern technology and just given it that Stone Age twist, which gives it this kind of timeless quality about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and again, when you hear it, you can't not sing to the Flintstones. <laughs> so yeah, that's why. The Flintstones or Meet the Flintstones is number nine on my list. Nice. All right. I guess that takes us over to uh, number eight. My number eight is Malcolm in the Middle. Ooh. Oh, I got to find your slide. Here he is. Where is it? There it is. And here we go. Here. Yep. Boss of Me by They Might Be Giants. I kind of remember hearing them on the radio. Uh, they did it a little bit, but uh, I don't think they really got super far. No, but they were featured on the soundtrack music from Malcolm in the Middle. All right, and that was released November twenty first, two thousand. 
and it would go on to win the band a 2002 Grammy Award for Best Song Written for a Motion Picture, Television, or Other Visual Media. That's awesome. The music video for it features cast members of the show. Okay. And the band themselves as miniature toy versions. <laughs> All right. And it basically Dewey digs them out of a dumpster, takes them home, and plays with them in the backyard while they're, you know, barbecuing, whatever culminating in Hal finally stepping on them and throwing them back in the dumpster in where the Dewey dumpster. found them. Oh. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, only season one of the show was ever released on DVD in the States. Oh. Uh, season two was supposed to be re- released, but apparently the cost of all the music clearances was too high, so oh, it never right, got right, right. released. That's bizarre. Yeah. So you they've licensed the music for broadcast, but now they but can't secure for, for, for home media release. Media. Oh, that's yeah. weird. That's almost like the WKRP thing. When they when they first released WKRP in Cincinnati, all of the the music from the broadcast version was pulled, and it was all basically, you know, dubbed over with yeah tracks you never heard of. Yeah, <laughs> ah, that's too bad. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. uh, it's a catchy theme and sums up the show really well. All right. So, oh wow, number eight. <laughs> okay, number eight for me. Uh, this one, uh, I don't think anybody. Well, I mean, if you're if you're over the age of, I don't know, 30, probably watched yeah, 30, it once you, twice. You've, you've probably heard this one before. Number eight for me, it goes to, uh, where everybody knows your name from the sitcom. Cheers. So, uh, where everybody knows your name, this one, uh, co-written by a guy by the name of Gary Portnoy and uh, Judy Hart Angelo. Now, uh, where everybody knows your name, uh, I'm just going to like put this out there is one of the best television theme songs of all time. And it probably is number one on like a bunch of lists, uh, specifically Rolling Stone uh, magazine and TV guide have both actually said at one point or another that yes, this is the best TV theme song of all time. Hmm. And for good reason, it keeps showing up on these lists because here it is once again on the, our list on our little show. It's been parodied many times. Well, yeah, even the Simpsons did it. Well, it should be on the best of lists because not only is it a great TV theme song, it's just a great song, but it has a really interesting story of, uh, of how it came together. So um, it's actually kind of serendipitous because, uh, you know, at the point in her life uh, that, uh, that this happened, co-writer Judy Hart Angelo had never actually written a song before. Really? Yeah. She'd never written anything. She was working for a, a music production company at the time. And just through sheer coincidence at a dinner party one night, she happened to be talking to this Broadway producer and the producer asked her if she knew anyone that could score this new musical that he was doing called preppies. Hmm. Well, it turns out she did because she recommended her good friend, Gary Portnoy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh by that time uh in 1981 uh portnoy had already had an established musical career having written songs for bands like air supply and dolly parton hmm. but portnoy had never written for theater before so it's kind it was kind of a gamble as the two of them attempted to write the score and uh, the lyrics for this musical well, the short version is that the music that they wrote, it wasn't that great. And the New York Times actually said, uh, and I quote, the score by Gary Portnoy and Judy Hart Angelo is a pastiche of familiar sentiments. And uh, there are a few catchy numbers. And finally, the songs are at their most predictable in the numbers for young lovers. Hmm. 
but Judy ended up sending a copy of the show's uh, opening number uh, to a friend in California, and that friend ended up passing it around, and finally it landed on the desks of Glenn and Les Charles. Now, Glenn and Les Charles, they were in the process of producing this new sitcom called Cheers, and they actually thought that the song from Preppies would be a good fit for the show. Well, it turns out that the, the, the song was like legally bound to the musical and they couldn't use it. So they said, can you write us a new song? So they did. And it ended up sounding an awful lot like the song from preppies. So the producer said, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, they ended up, uh, they would go on to write two more songs. And after a bit of lyrical changes to the second one, they eventually got the stamp of approval and it became where everybody knows your name. Neat. Yeah. It's a pretty cool story. Um, why is it number eight on my list? Well, listen, cheers came on at a time in my life. I was eight years old when cheers came on the air and I was 18 when it went off. So, I mean, you think about like all of the growth that uh, a, a young boy goes through between those 10 years between eight and 18, I call it the weird years. So, I mean that like puberty, girls formative years heart yeah heartbreak and everything else the that a young man can go through and really like how many songs are out there that can both lift you up and tear you down at the same time i would say that the cheers theme is one of them and i think it's actually one of the best laments ever written nice so that's why where everybody knows your name is number eight on my list excellent Number seven, sir. Uh, number seven for me is a relatively new one. It is Rick and Morty. Oh, where'd I put it? Where'd I put it? I don't know. Oh, no. Did I not put it on the board? No, That's be... awful. Oh, I did put it on the board. It's there. There we go. It's a brief clip of it. But well, I tried, to, I tried to capture the most sort yeah. of exciting part. <laughs> yeah. You got it, though. Uh, it's titled The Rick and Morty Theme. It's by Ryan Elder. And in an interview with TV Overmind, series creator Justin Roiland talked about how he wanted to combine the themes to Farscape and Doctor Who. Oh, oh, when you say that, yeah. I totally hear it. So a friend of Roiland, Ryan Elder, who is also responsible for the theme song to the Wizards of Waverly Place, oh, okay. took the best elements of the two, mashed them together and created this original piece of music that just screams sci-fi yeah 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 uh the theme song has been included in the soundtrack of the show which was released september 28th 2018 under the sub pop label okay it would reach 107 on the u.s billboard 200 and number one on the u.s top comedy albums chart comedy albums comedy albums i guess because it's like a comedy show i suppose and, and i mean it's not like a comedy album per se i was it's, gonna say like there's not a lot of they don't like pull dialogue from the show do they no there's lots of instrumentals and some of the actual band written oh, okay okay contributions to it but uh if you haven't watched rick and morty you owe it to yourself to check this show out well i'm guilty of that and i know you and hank have both said to me well, that yeah, I, we'll, I need to we'll get on it on you <laughs> uh it follows the misadventures of rick sanchez a cynical mad scientist and his grandson morty smith as they split their time between domestic life and interdimensional adventures. Oh, okay. Uh, season five just finished up, but they've greenlit another 60 episodes. Yeah. So we got plenty to look forward to. And since it takes like, you know, two to four years between seasons to come out. Two got, to four years between. It's oh. kind of a running joke with the show, okay. but you got plenty of time to catch up. So, Hey, you want to, uh, this is a good opportunity to uh, throw this out there. Did you catch the news this week? 
which part the negotiations are over oh so uh futurama fans futurama is coming back with new episodes and john dimaggio has uh yeah bender has uh has uh concluded negotiations and uh has made a deal so he's coming back excellent (laughs) i can't see that show without him Oh no, me neither. Like no, no, me neither. I'm watching. Uh, are you watching Disenchantment on? Uh, I just finished the latest. Yeah, season I'm not yet. done the last season yet. But every time I hear him, it's like, oh, Bender. Yep. <laughs> you can't not hear Bender. Yep. 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 <laughs> uh, I actually like Futurama better than I like The Simpsons. I stopped watching The Simpsons. I will still watch. Go back and watch episodes of Futurama. I yeah. I like it that much. Okay, where are we now? Oh, number seven. Number My seven. number seven. Okay, well, this is kind of cool. Um, again no surprise if you're an older if you're a younger fan maybe you don't know this one but my number seven goes to moving on up with uh from the jeffersons all right moving on up the theme of the jeffersons this one uh, co-written by jeff barry and Jeanette dubois now, Jeff Berry, uh, having just earned a single Grammy nomination for 1974's I Honestly Love You uh, by Olivia Newton-John, but has written for the likes of Ike and Tina Turner, the Ronettes, uh, and the, the Monkees, and he holds the Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Academy of Songwriters in uh, the United States. So, and uh, no small accomplishment. <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh, come on. I mean, there's a there's a couple people on that list uh, on my list that have, have lifetime achievement awards for nice. songwriting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while Barry continued to work in uh, the pop music industry, he also wrote some exceptional TV themes that you might remember. Besides this one, uh, anybody watch One Day at a Time? I the original One Day at a Time. Don't remember that one. He wrote This Is It, and uh, he wrote Without Us, the theme oh. to uh, Family Ties. Now. This is where it gets interesting because the co-writer, uh, Jeanette Dubois, not only was she the co-writer, but she's also the lady singing it. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in case you didn't know, The Jeffersons is a spinoff from All in the Family. And All in the Family actually had five spinoffs. Really? One of them was a show called Maud, which starred B. Arthur. Well, then Maud had its own spinoff with Good Times. So now Good Times actually becomes the first television spinoff of a spinoff. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Good Times, Jeanette Dubois played Wilona Woods, the best friend to a series regular Florida Evans. So that makes Jeanette Dubois part of two All in the Family spinoffs, but in different uh, capacities. Neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fun fact here, megastar Janet Jackson played uh, Penny Woods the adopted daughter of Jeanette Dubois character Wallona in the last two seasons of good times. Well, fast forward to 1987 and uh, Janet's uh, music video for control. Jeanette Dubois shows up playing her mother. Nice. Yeah. So TV mother, daughter uh, reunited, but why is moving on up my number seven? And I'll say this uh, growing up in our house at that time. And I think a lot of people sort of in, in my age, the, you know, uh, closer to 50 than i am to 40 <laughs> lots of norman lear tv in our household so my folks were big fans of uh, all in the family so uh when all these spinoffs started rolling out we just gravitated towards them as a natural extension of like oh what's archie getting into now but uh of all of the norman lear show themes from the late 70s it's hard to argue that moving on up isn't the catchiest of them all 
And, uh, you know, think of it from a perspective of, as a 10 year old, I'm watching the opening credits. Have you watched the show Jefferson's? Yeah. So, you know, like when the camera pans up the building yep. and you think, Oh, moving on up. And I'm just thinking like at 10 years old, I'm like, Oh, they're moving to another floor on the building. I just did not get the metaphor they're moving up. Yeah. I, I never got the metaphor, but as an adult, obviously I can look back at that and go, Oh yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, you can see it at the end of uh, the fresh prints. Yes. Cause they moved up big time. They did. And the fresh prints serves as a spiritual finale because the Jefferson's never got one. Yeah. Yeah. It never did. It just kind of yeah. ended uh, with a regular episode. So having the, the Jefferson show up to buy the mansion. Yeah. The mansion is, it works as a spiritual uh, finale for that show. Huh. But yeah, so uh, that's it, man. Number seven is uh, moving on up for me. Nice. Oh, my Lord. Here we go. Number six. Number six for me. Well, uh, this is one that everybody knows. Uh, I hope so. It's been on forever. <laughs> uh, it is The Simpsons. Yeah. The Simpsons main title theme composed by Danny Elfman. It was composed in 1989 after series creator Matt Groening approached Elfman with a tape of all his favorite cartoon music and the task of creating something that ended up resembling Groening's favorite show, The Jetsons. Oh, see, this is the kind of stuff that I really dig on because once yeah. again, if you never told me that, I would have no idea. But now that you've said it, yeah, of course it sounds like The Jetsons. Yeah, people have uh, <laughs> often thought that it was... Uh, in the theme of, I think it was Maria, but it turns out it was the Jetsons. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. It first broadcast on December 17th, 1989. And it's played during the opening sequence of each episode with little tweaks here and there. Sure. But uh, the similarity doesn't end there. The opening sequence is an inside out parody of the Jetsons intro. George going to work. Yeah. In the Jetsons, you open with blue sky. Everybody's leaving home for their various destinations. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the Simpsons, you open with blue sky and the process is run in reverse. Everybody's coming home coming from home. wherever. Converging oh, at home. right, 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 right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the theme, it won the national music award for favorite TV theme in 2002. Yeah. As well as multiple BMI TV music awards. Uh, it's been covered numerous times over the years by a slew of different bands, including Sonic Youth and Green Day. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Did you, you did just say Green Day. I did say Green Day. Okay, I'm going to have to look that one up. They covered it for the movie. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. The first movie. Uh, yeah, the Simpsons movie. I was going to say, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I don't really remember. Yeah, they're playing on a barge as the barge starts to sink into the water. <laughs> okay, but, okay. Uh, the theme would be included on the 1997 CD release songs in the key of Springfield. I along remember with, that. Uh, other songs and original music from the show. Yeah. And it would <laughs> got a comment here from Sean. Do the Bartman. <laughs> Do the Bartman. Yeah. <laughs> that was on the other one. Simpsons sing the blues. That's right. Yeah. 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 There's a, I believe there's at least three CDs out there for Simpsons. Three. Three. Yeah. Well, There's, I mean, think uh, over uh, what? How many seasons now? 30? Oh God, I don't even, I've lost some. So you think over the number of seasons that they've had, they've probably got enough music that they could yeah, put something together. Singing the blues, songs in the key of Springfield, and the yellow sure, album. Sure. Oh, wow. So uh, songs in the key of Springfield, the title is actually a uh, a rip on another one that'll show up later on in my list. Oh, okay. So, well, that's interesting. Yeah. But okay. I love Danny Elfman. I love... It's just, Who doesn't though? I mean, isn't uh, oh, he's kind of that uh, 
he's the he's a go-to guy sure he's the uh the, except if you're family guy I was, okay well that's true there's that one joke during the star wars special oh they killed john williams now I, we have to do it with danny elfman oh yeah, yeah i think of danny elfman and and i automatically go to tim burton batman yeah it's hard not to right yeah at least for for me anyway all right, number six. Okay, my number six, we're going to go uh, on the time travel machine one more time, and we're going to go back to the 1950s because my number six is uh, the Happy Days song from Happy Days. Oh, Happy Days. Yeah, it's the Happy Days song uh, written by Norman Gimbel and Charles Fox. So uh, by the time that Happy Days actually aired in uh, 1975, Norman Gimbel was already an accomplished uh, lyricist, having written for several films and stage productions. But if you think you know the name, you may, because he is the guy who wrote the hit song, Killing Me Softly with his song. Nice. Yeah, a song that was a smash hit for Roberta Flack in 1973. And then again for the Fugees in 1996. That's my favorite version. Yeah, yeah. Gimbal uh, co-wrote the song with Charles Fox. And uh, this is actually talking about uh, Killing Me Softly. He wrote it with uh, Charles Fox and Laurie Lieberman. Although both men have since tried to rewrite the narrative and deny that uh, Lieberman had any involvement at all. Although they did publicly announce her lyrical uh, contributions for decades. Hmm. So it's kind of this like you know, misogyny in, uh, in the industry kind of thing where they're just yeah. trying to rub her out, which is really unfortunate because just it's a, it's a wonderful it. song. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, fun fact here, uh, tying it back, Roberta Flack sang the theme song to the TV sitcom Valerie. Hmm. I don't know if you remember that one that starred, uh, Valerie, uh, Harper who, uh, who used to appear on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Okay. So the, the, the show was, uh, Valerie later renamed to, uh, Valerie's, uh, Valerie's family. And then finally, the Hogan family after Valerie Harper walked out over a salary dispute and they killed off her character. Uh, can't hear the music. It's extremely low. Okay. Fair enough. Let's put that up a little bit more. Thank you, viewer. All right. Thank you. Private message telling us that the, the tracks are low, which is fine because if we play them too loud, we're going to get copyright struck again. Yep. Anyway. Uh, we probably will anyway. Uh, that's fine. I can live with it. Okay. So, uh, let's get back to the song though. So, uh, on top of his work with Norman Gimbel, Charles Fox also wrote the uh, TV theme songs to uh, the love boat, ABC's wide world of sports. And he wrote the original theme to Monday night football. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And he would score over a hundred films. Uh, some of which I'm just going to list here now, nine to five starring Dolly Parton six pack with Kenny Rogers. By the way, that is one of my all time favorite childhood films. I highly recommend it to this day. Uh, no stranger, uh, to this one, strange brew with the McKenzie brothers and short circuit Two. Johnny five. No, disassemble number five. Uh, so Fox and Gimbel's songwriting relationship with Hollywood was pretty strong. And uh, together they have either scored or contributed music to hundreds of films and TV shows. The list is far too long to, uh, to, to actually name them all, but some of their TV highlights also include the themes to Laverne and Shirley a spinoff of happy days and wonder woman. Ooh. So originally the happy Days song was only played during the end credits. Uh, and for the first two seasons, it was sung by a guy by the name of Jim Hass. Hass had already had enormous success as a backup singer. And he's worked for the likes of leaf Garrett, David Cassidy, pink Floyd, 
Jackson Brown, and Barry Manilow. He's all over the board. Absolutely. So fun fact here, uh, Leif Garrett has confirmed that on some of his earlier albums, uh, in an attempt to smooth over his vocals, his vocals were completely replaced by Jim Haas. Haas had even gone on to sing uh, behind a curtain during live performances that Leif Garrett would actually lip sync to. (laughs) The original Millie Vanilla. Yeah, (laughs) not the same thing. Okay, so um, if you recall, the original theme to Happy Days was actually a reworked version of Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets. But then at season three, and then that carried right on till season 11, the the theme song, uh, they end up reworking the Happy Days song, added a whole bunch of new lyrics to it, and it was re-recorded by the musical duo of Truett Pratt and Jerry uh, Jerry McLean. Now, this song was the only song that the duo had had any success with, kind of making it a one-hit wonder for them. It peaked at uh, number five on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1976, and uh, it did slightly better here in Canada, making it to number three on the RPM chart. Hmm. Okay, but why is it why is it my number six, you ask? Well, maybe you don't, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> uh, the Happy Days theme is number six on my list because for most of its run, well, Happy Days is one of those shows that I would call must-see TV right up until, well, right <laughs> up until Fonzie uh, jumped the shark forever coining the term. Yep. <laughs> but... The song is still like this all around feel good song and you just can't help but smile when you hear it. It is literally my favorite 50s song, even though it was written like 20 years later. (laughs) So yeah, happy days. Number six. I love it. Excellent. All right. Now we're going to number five. Number five. Oh my God. We're halfway there already. Halfway. Where did the time go? Oh, that's going. Uh, My number five is the big bang theory. Oh, nice choice. Yeah, you know the rest of it. (laughs) Uh, The History of Everything by the Bare Naked Ladies. uh, Played after the cold opening of each episode, except the unaired pilot. Uh, The History of Everything was both composed and performed specifically for the show by the Canadian band, the Bare Naked Ladies. Yeah. Uh, Without. Without Stephen Page. Without. Yeah. Uh, on October 9th, 2007, a full-length version of the song was released. And in 2011, it appeared on the Bare Naked Ladies Best Of album, Hits From Yesterday and the Day Before. Uh, the song <laughs> nice. almost didn't happen because at the time, Ed Robertson and Tyler Stewart had told CBS News they'd been doing a lot of work for other TV and movie properties. Yeah, yeah. Only to find out that the same work had been given to multiple bands so it was really just a competition and there was no reward because half the time their stuff, they would do it and it wouldn't get released. Just rejected. Yeah. So when the big band creators reached out and the band told them, look, we're not interested in doing this if you're just going to give it to multiple bands. But the creators were like, uh, uh, we, we just wanted you guys. <laughs> and from there, they're like, oh, okay. The rest is history. You kind of wish you were like a, like a fly on the wall for those conversations, yeah. like to catch those reactions. Like, oh, oh. Yeah, so they were the only choice for it, and they carried through. All right. Oh, it's still a great song. Still actually probably uh, uh, one of my top, oh, man, as far as sitcoms go, it's a top five uh, sitcom for me of all time, and probably always will be. I was actually, like, super, super bummed when it it canned it. Oddly enough, the first time I saw it, I didn't like it. 
you didn't like it. I didn't like it. What? I, I don't know if I just saw too much myself in it because I'm <laughs> like, I still, I like the show. We still watch it at home. And, but even now, if I see something wrong, I will point it out to Jen and be like, look, look at them. They're doing that wrong. I kind of, you know, like everybody kind of talks about the big bang theory as the, the TV show that made like nerd you know, suddenly nerd culture was okay. And I'm thinking, I don't know any physicists, you know, no. I don't, I don't know any, like, uh, I don't know any rocket scientists. Well, I'm a comic book guy and I cringe every time I see them pick up a comic oh. with no bag, no board. And they're just bending it in half. <laughs> like, Oh, you savages. I, the comic book uh, shop though. I just, I was like going around the room, watching like, there's more money in there than yep. <laughs> quite a few dollars sitting in that particular it so set. Was. Oh, it is a great song though. And I, I applaud that one. That's a good yeah, choice. It's so. a catchy tune. So, all right. Number five, we're sticking with the number fives. Oh boy. This one, uh, this one's kind of fun. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you guys remember this one. My number five goes to Magnum PI. I can't. I love that song. It screams 80s. <laughs> it so does. But it's so awesome. Okay. Magnum PI, the theme was uh, co composed by a gentleman by the name of Mike Post and Pete Carpenter. And these guys actually have a pretty cool uh, relationship with each other. Magnum PI, it's the first show on my list to be created by uh, Donald P. Belisario. And it was co created with Glenn A. Larson, somebody else we've talked about before who we may or may not do. Uh, some more extensive uh, looks at some of his television work. But again, uh, and these guys, both of them, uh, Belisario and Larson, they're going to turn up on my list again. Oh, nice comment here coming in from Greg. Magnum PI is the goat. <laughs> I appreciate that sentiment too, because I think he's awesome. The mustache will not be denied. Listen, uh, I'm not, hey, did you read my notes ahead of time? No. Oh, well, then wait a minute, because <laughs> you're going to like what I have to say about it. Okay, so uh, Magnum P.I. is the show that stalled Tom Selleck's film career. Really? Yeah, because, because he had signed the deal for Magnum and CBS would not let him out of it, he couldn't take the role of Indiana Jones when it was oh. offered to him by Steven Spielberg. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. That would have um, been quite the different movie. There is a clip. Uh, you, can go and, uh, you can find it on YouTube, but there is a clip of him screen testing with Karen Allen with a leather jacket and a fedora. And it doesn't really do much in it. She kind of knocks him around a little bit, but I mean, just the sight of that. And you're thinking, Oh my God, what would it, what would Indiana Jones have looked like? Had it have been Tom Selleck? All right. And just like the Flintstones Magnum PI is another show that started out with a different theme song. Um, but this one was like super, super short lived because this one didn't even survive the first season. And by episode 12, um, they had actually replaced it with the guitar driven theme that uh, we all know and love other comment here from Steve who says Magnum PI was one of my choices. Ha ha Steve. I'm glad to know we think alike. All right. So getting back to the song itself, Mike post, uh, another Grammy award winner, uh, who's a songwriter, arranger and producer whose work outside of television include, uh, included producing albums for Kenny Rogers in the first edition when Kenny Rogers was still a rocker before he uh, embarked on his uh, immensely successful country uh, solo career. But he's also produced records for Dolly Parton. And would you believe that he produced Van Halen three? Really? Yeah. Um, a jump. It is. I mean, it's probably one of the most like pan records from Van Halen. I liked it though. Uh, that's the one that had like Gary Sharon out of it. Hmm. 
Eric says, uh, we got to bring that mustache back. <laughs> yeah, the new one, he doesn't quite have the, the Tom Selleck look. Without it. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Okay, well, co-writer Pete Carpenter had actually started writing music for uh, television in the, ni- in the 1960s. Uh, just a little bit before Mike post. And he wrote uh, themes of uh, the themes for shows like bewitched uh, Gomer Pyle, USMC and the Andy Griffith show. Ooh. But it was his partnership with Mike post where things really took off for both of them, because together uh, these two guys have scored over uh, 1800 hours of television. And uh, if you do the math, that works out to be uh, 75 days worth of TV. <laughs> was scored by these two guys. So if you watched any amount of TV from uh, the late 60s right through to the 80s, then you definitely heard some of their music. Now, their breakout song was the theme to the Rockford Files in 1975, and that's what led them to a whole host of other TV opportunities like Hill Street Blues, Hmm. L.A. Law, Hunter, and Law and Order. And uh, do you notice a theme there? A little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it's like this legal kind of cop thing going on. So, <laughs> pardon me, I found an interview with Mike Post where they were uh, talking about sort of taking through his his, uh, his TV themes. And he actually uh, said about Magnum P.I. that it was actually one of the easiest things that he ever wrote because of how well he knew the character. Hmm. It turns out that uh, Mike Post uh, attended school uh, with Tom Selleck uh, all the way from grammar right through to high school. And the two are actually lifelong friends. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So the Magnum P.I. theme, why is it my number five? Well, there is just something, I mean, first of all, I got to say I'm a rocker. I've been a rocker most of my, like my adult life since I've discovered music, you know, since I turned the A, turned the radio to the FM dial. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. AM 640, the hog. Okay. But that was short lived a little bit. So there's just something about that driving guitar riff that just matches the swagger of the Thomas Magnum character. Again, it's another one of those quintessential eighties themes and uh listen to me that theme is as much a part of magnum pi as tom Selleck's mustache <laughs> and to this day as you say every time i see tom Selleck on screen no matter what it is i think where's the mustache and i always think back to magnum pi so yeah magnum pi sticks out as uh, my number five nice all right i can't believe we're in the so bottom we're, we're in the top half, half already yeah so uh my number four is the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. Classic, if I ever heard one. Yeah. Uh, originally titled Yo, Home to Bel Air, uh, the idea for the song came from Jeff Towns, a.k.a. DJ Jazzy Jeff, after learning that the music for the series, which was all composed and produced by the legendary Quincy Jones, was made and presented as to what would become the theme song. So... I can't see Quincy turning out something bad, but apparently it just didn't hit quite right. Right. Jeff Towns, he wrote the music. Will Smith wrote the lyrics. And after reading, you know, the script for the pilot, they composed it all, got it together and presented it to Quincy who immediately loved it and accepted it as the theme song. Oh, wow. Uh, It would be released as a single in the Netherlands and Spain by Jive records in 1992, but it wouldn't be released over here until 1998 on the DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince Greatest Hits album. Uh-oh. So the song, it uh, it really encompasses the entire feel of the show. It's a fun, 
upbeat type thing. I think of the song and it's like, not only do I associate it with the, with the TV show, but like I was of the age where like you could go to a nightclub and there was a time when that song was played in nightclubs. Yeah. Like you could be dancing to it, you know, and then go home and watch the, the show really if you wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is. It's, it is. It's one of those great TV themes that I think, you know, it's super snot. Have you watched the new one? I have not watched. No, it yet. neither have the commercials, I. I think yeah, they're yeah. taking a way different approach to it. Uh, he's a producer on it too. eh, Will Smith. So he's got to at least, you know, have some. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've totally flipped the narrative. I mean, it's the same story, you know, but the, without any of the comedy. Yeah. A lot less fun. Just going back to our last two comments, uh, guitar riffs. Do I have to get upset? Says Eric. Well, Eric, you already know that it's not on my list and it may or may not turn up on my, uh, well, it can't be on the cartoon list because no, the Power Rangers is not a cartoon. But it's a it is a guitar. Theme. It is a Saturday morning theme. So maybe we can expand that to include to be uh, Saturday just morning kids inclusive. shows. Let's do kids shows. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about it. And uh, Steve, yes, I do remember Hardcastle and McCormick. Uh, another crazy, uh, crazy, another uh, show about a car. Mm-hmm. I know it wasn't about the car, but the car is the thing that I remember Features the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kid car, by the way. Hmm. Yeah, kid car. Yeah, so uh, Fresh the, Prince, that's my number four. All right, number four. Oh, okay. Uh, so, number four. Speaking of cars, <laughs> <laughs> wow, my, how amazing how well that worked out. My number four goes to a little show about a car. You may have heard of it, and it was called Night Rider. Yeah, Night Rider. So, um, <laughs> what's not to love about that song? Uh a little bit sci-fi, a little bit thriller, a little bit spy. I wish I could play more of it. I honestly wish I could play more of it. And I highly encourage you all to go out. Do go out when we publish the uh, the Spotify playlist, which I'm going to post tomorrow. It'll, it'll come out tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. So what's the date today, Andy? It's uh, is the 6th of March. So tomorrow, uh, Monday, March 7th at 5 p.m. Eastern, you'll be able to uh, go and hit the link. It'll be there on our social media. You can get all the songs. But do go out and have a listen to the Night Rider theme again. And keep that in mind um, as I'm saying this, because there's some really cool things about this song that you probably didn't know. This is the second time that Glenn Larson's going to show up on the list because this is a, a Larson created show, but he also has a credit on the theme song. Hmm. I don't know how I still haven't quite figured that out, but he does have a credit uh, on the theme song. And this one again is a Stu Phillips uh, created song. So, the song is a bit of what I would call a television masterpiece. And I say that because popular to uh, contrary to popular belief, the song is not a bunch of looped samples. It is actually played from beginning to end by musicians. Hmm. You'd think that with that recurring, that it would be a loop and it's not well, before the time of loops. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Well, samples were still, were a thing back then. True. Um, but the song is not without controversy as it borrows from a 1923 recording of Parade of the Wooden Soldiers by Paul Whitman and his orchestra. So take a listen to this and see if you can hear the, uh, the Knight Rider in this. Hard not hard to miss that, eh? Yeah, yeah, no yeah, yeah. That. Uh, so, Parade of the Wooden Soldiers, also known as Parade of the Tin Soldiers, uh, 
The song was actually composed in 1876 by a French composer by the name of Leo Delib for a ballet called Sylvia. But only the Whitman version contains that note sequence that we hear in the Knight Rider theme. There is no other version of it that has that. Now, Stu Phillips said in an interview that he came up with the opening notes completely innocently and did not realize that he had copied the Whitman piece until he started playing it back to himself. He thought, God, why do I know that? So he took it to a friend at the Universal Studios library and said, listen, you, you know all this classical stuff. Like, does this sound familiar to you? And the librarian said, oh, yeah, it's the thing from the thing. And he's like, oh, is that what it is? Hmm. So then he immediately goes to Glenn Larson, the series creator, to say, listen, this happened. And uh, Larson says, well, is it in the public domain? And uh, when Stu Phillips said that it was, Larson was like, listen, we got to get this thing right. So just leave it the way it is. And so that's what they did. <laughs> they just left it the way it was. And they used this classical piece of music. As Stu Phillips says, innocently enough, in the interview, he says, I did not poach. I did not steal this. I did not intend to. It was completely inadvertently. You know, it's up to you whether or not you believe him or not. Well, who knows? There could be like a childhood memory of hearing the song. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You know, 30 years later, it's like, oh, ding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Stu Phillips not only composed the theme to Knight Rider, he also scored 13 episodes of the series. Uh, he was widely considered to be one of Glenn Larson's favorite composers and contributed music uh, to 22 Larson-produced series over a period of 14 years. In fact, here's another funny story. Um, he said in the same uh, the same interview that, because uh, Glenn Larson left Knight Rider after, uh, what, the second season? Hmm. In the second season he left, he went out to another network to do The Fall Guy. And uh, he said to, to Phillips, he's like, you got to come with me and do The Fall Guy. He's like, I want to stay on Knight Rider. It's a hit show. I want to keep doing that. But Larson had insisted that he go to, to do a fall guy. So without telling him, Stu Phillips approached the network and worked at a deal where he could go back and forth. Mm. And uh, he ended up doing, you know, he'd end up doing like a half a dozen more episodes of Knight Rider at the same time that he was working on the fall guy. Mm. All right. So why is it, uh, why is the theme to Knight Rider the number four on my list? Well, I will say this. The theme song sounds as mysterious as Michael Knight and as futuristic as Kit. It's the show that had kids talking into their watches, and the song is easily one of the most enduring aspects of the entire franchise. A franchise that I might add just never seems to get a proper reboot, although the short-lived 2009 series was pretty close, and I liked it. Uh, Val Kilmer was the car in that one. Hmm. But if you're like me, and I'm betting that a lot of you are, you already have this song on your phone, on a playlist, probably one that you made specifically for the car. Because <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> and that is why the theme to Knight Rider is my number four. And that's not even to mention the Hoff. <laughs> I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't bring him up. <laughs> I'll bring him up. Oh, okay. Uh, his cameo in the Baywatch remake. I was thinking his his cameo in the in the SpongeBob movie. That was a good one too. I like that one. But uh, on to number three. Number three. Uh, oh, I don't I think here? he uh, made a cameo in this one. But uh, uh, I gotta find it. Where did it go? Uh, oh, it's over here. Gotta change screens. Okay, there you go. There we go. Uh, my number three, The X Files. Ah. Titled Materia Primoris, uh, is composed and produced by Mark Snow. 
Uh, originally composed for the TV series in 1993, it would be released on two separate albums in 1996. And this is where the rip comes because yep. the first one is titled Songs in the Key of X. Yes. Music and from and inspired by the X-Files. Yep. That's where the Simpsons got yeah, the yeah, yeah. Springfield. Oh, there you go. There it is. Yeah. Both Fox properties. But uh, right. later on that year, the album The Truth and the Light, music from the X-Files, would also be released featuring it on there. Uh, Mark Snow has gone on record to say that the echo effect on the theme song was created by accident. Oh, uh, after the piece had gone through several revisions, uh, series creator Chris Carter felt that something was still not quite right. And after he exited the room, Snow put his hand and forearm down in frustration on the keyboard. And the result would be that echoing, which they figured was the missing element. Oh, that's really cool. Uh -huh. uh, another fun fact about it. The whistling melody heard throughout it. Yep. is actually Mark Snow's wife, Glenn. Oh, nice. So she's whistling, but they have run it through a Proteus line of synth products called Whistling Joe. Whistling Joe. Just to give it that extra eerie element. Uh, if you do get a chance to check out The Truth of the Light, it contains samples of the show's dialogue sprinkled throughout all the instrumentals of Mark Snow. And it a, the result is a dark and eerie thrill ride the music of the first three seasons i mean the x-files i mean for the whole time it was on and i mean even now well maybe not so much now but i mean even into the like the early aughts you couldn't have like a pop culture reference to something weird or mysterious without and pop that theme up like somebody kind of doing that you're like oh illuminati confirmed yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah definitely awesome. give that album a listen if you're a fan of the show at all uh, i remember listening to it back in high school and it it's an audible thrill ride. There was a time where like I was really digging on buying like compilations, right? Because I mean I was the type like I don't need to buy an album, I just need to buy greatest hits. Yeah. So I would buy, I would buy these like TV compilations. I mean, I probably had two or three, maybe even four of them on cassette. And I still think even now in my CD collection, I think I still have a collection of like 50 on disc. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spotify has ruined me though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my lord! Oh wow! We're now down to oh, your top, number three. Top three. I can't believe that. Top three. Well, this one is a super fun, uh, super memorable, and I think if you were, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you watch TV in the eighties, well, there this. you go. I don't want to say if you're a, a guy, but like, really, let's face it. This this show was totally, uh, it was totally aimed at guys, and so my number three goes to the A Team. <laughs> this is another one co-composed by mike post and pete carpenter Jeez. so yeah i'm not going to repeat all that stuff but you there there's again uh fun fact about the a-team the opening narration in 1971 a crack yeah, yeah that that is actually read uh by actor producer and musician john ashley now john ashley <laughs> made his claim to fame if you can call it that by appearing in six of the seven beach party movies of the 1960s hmm. so those were produced by american international pictures and they largely featured frankie avalon and annette funicello although uh his parts were mostly non-speaking he did get the lead male vocals on the soundtrack to how to stuff a wild bikini it was the last beach party movie to feature Frankie Avalon, who only showed up for about six minutes because he had joined. I think he had joined the Navy at that point, And he thought that Annette might be cheating on him. So 
oops, you see him for a few minutes and then he's gone. But why is the A team my number three? Well, like most of the themes on my list, the A team is another one of those ones that really encapsulates the essence of what the show was. It has this, uh, you know, the, the military uh, uh, um, sound is not, uh, it, it doesn't escape you, right? It is definitely it has the same timing as a military march. It sounds like a military march. And really, I mean, shouldn't every crack commando unit have their own theme song? Yes. Think about when you were a kid, you're outside in the backyard with your friends and you're playing army and you've all got your like your cutout plywood guns and you're running around shooting each other. There's really only two tunes that you could be humming to yourself. One of them, G.I. Joe. The other one, the A-Team. Yep. Now, I'm gonna, I want to put this out here right now. I'm going to turn this off. Look at the camera here. I'm looking at you, Hasbro. This is like a huge missed opportunity. Why wasn't the A-Team a sub-team of G.I. Joe? they could have sergeant slaughter why not mr t they have the refrigerator perry yeah i know it comes down to rights and stuff but like hey make it happen (laughs) all right yes the a team my number three excellent uh top two top two two. Uh, my number two i might be breaking a little bit here why just because it's not uh, a traditional show oh well okay uh but my number two is the 2002 to 2006 theme For Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw. It's called Across the Nation by the Union Underground. And they are a new metal band out of San Antonio, Texas, with one major studio album to their credit. Uh, The 2000 release, An Education in Rebellion. That's probably why I couldn't find it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, In March of 2002, they released the song Across the Nation, and it would go on to become the opening theme for WWF Monday Night Raw. And it would continue to be used until October of 2006, when it would be replaced by the song To Be Loved by Papa Roach. Oh. Uh, This track would be featured on the WWF, sorry, Forcible Entry album, along with the entrance music used by various wrestlers and performers. And I should point out here that it was around this time that WWF, which had to change its name to WWE because of the World Wildlife Federation, they really started leaning in on bringing musical acts on board for entrance music, pay-per-view themes, and the like. Uh, There are at least 10 volumes of entrance music available out there. Yeah, yeah. As well as other assorted musical outings featuring original music performed by the superstars themselves. Well, I think of that. What's that first one with... uh with the rick derringer song on it and uh it might be the second one but their first one was the pile driver album yeah that's the one i'm thinking of but if you go find the pile driver 2 yeah you can actually find mean gene okerlin performing rock and roll hoochie coo with rick derringer Derringer. yeah 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 yeah. so (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah uh the band they broke up shortly after that i guess there was issues with the label they were on as well okay and they've tried to get back together over the years but just nothing has really gelled and then pandemic and oh which is too bad i did find a version when i was looking for the clip i actually found a version that uh of the song sang by the original singer Hmm. um but it didn't sound exactly like the entrance to the show so we swapped it Hmm. eric says that uh, that was the end of times of my constant watching of wwe good memories that's a good era. And you held on a lot longer than I did. As soon as I got to the Attitude Era, I'm like, what the hell is this crap? 
when the Monday Night Wars were going on, I couldn't be bothered to try and watch two at the same time. Oh, it was fun. Oh, my God. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> oh, wow. Here we go. Number two. So, wait, wait. What was my number three? Oh, it was the 18. Right. Yeah, number four was your uh, number two. Number four was my was Knight Rider. All right. Well, if we're going to talk about a futuristic car, I cannot, you know, put this list together without talking about another futuristic vehicle. This one gets the number two slot on my list, and it is the, uh, oh my lord, here it is, the uh, theme song to Airwolf. Nice. Yeah. So uh, this one is composed by a gentleman by the name of Sylvester, uh, Sylvester LeVay, and it's uh, this is a unique one uh, on my list because even though the series uh, debuted back in 1984, there wasn't an official soundtrack release from the studio during the series run. Hmm. Uh, an official soundtrack actually didn't come out until 1994 and it was put together by a fan, a fan from Northern Ireland. His name is uh, Mark Cairns and he did that in collaboration with Sylvester LeVay. That's cool. Yeah. So Sylvester LeVay, the uh, composer, he had a modest career in Hollywood first as an arranger on Flashdance and Scarface. But then he would write for other films and TV series like Mannequin. I remember that one. Yeah, Werewolf the series, Cobra, the the Stallone movie, yep. uh, Navy Seals, which is kind of forgettable, um, which also had Charlie Sheen and uh, Hot Shots. There you go. <laughs> uh, arguably, Hot Shots might actually be better than Navy Seals. <laughs> okay, but uh, Sylvester LeVay credits Airwolf as his first big Hollywood gig. And in addition to the main theme, he actually wrote the score for the entire first season and half the second season until he was replaced by a guy uh, by the name of uh, Udi Harpaz. So Airwolf is uh, musically different from other shows of that time because both LeVay and Harpaz, uh, they used what they called the uh, tune of the week approach. Hmm. And by tune of the week, uh, meaning that each episode's score should be able to stand on its own without any dialogue, Foley or other sound effects layered on top of it, hmm. which differs from other shows of that day. Because if you try to do that with say like the a team or Knight Rider, none of the music makes any sense without no. any of those, without uh, the dialogue. Yeah. Any of the context. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, LeVay ended up leaving Hollywood in the nineties. And since then he's kind of focused on German language musicals. Hmm. Uh, his last credited work, her last credited musical being, uh, Marie Antoinette in uh, 2006. Hmm. But the big question, Wes, why is it your number two? Well, it's my number two, because if you remember the series, remember the opening of the series, very energetic picture this, the imagery in the opening credits in conjunction with the theme song, again, make for this like crazy kind of storytelling that informs you, the viewer, on just about everything that you need to know about Airwolf. It opens in absolute silence, and then you hear the howl of the engines, and then a black, sleek helicopter lifts into view, and you get that killer bass line, and you know that this machine is serious business. Then you get a flashing montage of airwolf schematics interposed with like action shots of the helicopter bristling with weapons. And you know that this is an advanced piece of machinery, unlike anything you've ever seen before. And then the theme soars from there. Nice. Remember that uh, playlist I was talking about with the Knight Rider theme? Yes. Yeah. This one's on it too. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, that is why 
the airwolf theme is my number two excellent oh my so god we are uh hitting the honorable mention section oh my god are we there now we are okay i i had trouble with my honorable mentions because honorable mentions okay like that's fair my top 10 was okay my number one was unchanged but you keep thinking of more and more like even this morning it was like oh how did i forget the theme to it's always sunny in philadelphia right 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 and you know or by the same token for the canadians trailer park boys oh yeah they're, yeah, the, yeah, they're yeah, like yeah, calm yeah. relaxing themes and it's like oh how did i forget that but anyway it's not that you forgot them but maybe it was just something that was more memorable yeah i think if i redid the list again tomorrow it might change for sure well that's like we said last week with the uh, yeah. soundtracks like oh but my honorable number three number three is mission impossible is the theme from mission impossible it's hard to argue with that one yeah lalo schriffen yeah yeah uh, everybody knows this theme even if they don't actually know it you know it's been used multiple times on multiple movies and tvs it's the go-to spy music is it i think so do you find that more memorable than say the the 007 theme it's up there with it i, I agree with you that it's up there i was just curious do you think it, it's really number one maybe for tv maybe I just think back to uh, Ace Ventura. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this one was written and composed by an Argentine composer, Lalo Schriffen, and yep. the original working title was Burning Fuse. Oh, I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, fun <laughs> fact, though, it did win the Grammy for Best Instrumental Theme back in oh, 1968. That's, cool. so, that's super cool. Yeah. Uh, right, where are you at now? You get another one? Honorable number two. Number two. Uh, let me see here. Can I find it here? Where did I put it? Oh, there it is. I found it. We're going down to South Park. <laughs> going down to South Park, gonna have myself a time. I loves me some Primus. <laughs> that wasn't the Primus version, but uh, turns out the outro to the show is actually what had been recorded for the intro, but Comedy Central know. thought that it was too slow and not peppy enough. Okay. So because the band was out touring, they couldn't get back in the studio, record it. So they ended up sending a guy out to meet the band on the road with a handheld tape recorder no way to have Les Claypool redo his vocals on that. Oh, wow. So then they just took what they already had recorded, sped it up and laced in the new vocals sure, sure. and the song was born. Oh, nice. Uh, it's changed and tweaked over the years, but it still retains that Primus feel to it. Yeah. yeah I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. It does. So uh, I was just watching. So I, I don't know why I put on some music the other day uh, when we were just like cleaning around the house, doing dishes and stuff. And I, I, primus video came on for jerry was a race car driver nice <laughs> pork soda is still my favorite album from them or uh one known as big brown beer yep <laughs> tales from the punch bowl <laughs> yeah. oh but, well. uh, moving on here my you got honor, one more do you I got one more you I do okay i think i've got one. one more than you do actually that's eh, okay all right well hit uh, me with your uh your next honorable honorable number one is freaks and geeks oh nice Bad Reputation by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Who's about to go on a big tour here with uh, Motley Crue and really? Def Leppard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, the series, it may have only lasted one season between 1999 and 2000, but it's gained cult status over the years. Well, I mean, how many careers did it launch? Oh, so many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, set in the 1980-81 time period, they used music to represent that. And because of that, it used up a lot of the show's budget. And that's why it took so long to get the show released on DVD. Oh, so again, that whole musical paying for it, pay for it. Yeah. yeah. 
Shout Factory would eventually release the series on DVD with all the music intact. Yep. And they would go on to release the soundtrack as well, which contains at least nine of the paid for tracks, as well as musical score pieces from the show. I give it up to Shout Factory because they they are getting a lot of like genre stuff that we kind of dig on. Yeah. Uh, lots of animation from show factory too. So I kind of like them for that. But yeah. If if you've never seen it, you owe it to yourself to go watch it. It was just, on just to see like James Franco and uh, Linda Cardellini. And it wasn't that long ago where it was still, and I can't remember who was showing it, but I mean, I can remember what, cause I never watched it in the original run. No, me neither. And I, but I did catch quite a few episodes later on. I thought, Oh, pretty sure it was on Netflix at one point. I think that might be where I started watching it. And I don't think I got, I don't think I got through the whole thing before it was. No? Yeah. Well, we were late to Netflix too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we had cable right up until, uh, uh, 2014, mm-hmm. 2014, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah before we, uh, cut the cord. <laughs> Oh boy. Honorable mentions. Okay. So, uh, I've got a few here. Uh, these are in no particular order. I know they're ordered, uh, for our slides, but <laughs> it's irrelevant to the order that I'm putting them up there. Honorable mention goes out to, uh, this one it's mash. Uh, the mash theme it's a wonderful rendition of uh, the original film song uh, suicide is painless uh, minus all of the lyrics and it's turned up just a little bit more to make it just ever so slightly uh, upbeat because if you've seen the film and it's it is a comedy masterpiece it's also very morose and somber and and so the and the theme song is just like mm, probably not suitable for tv no but when you give it the uh the the little the tempo change and take the lyrics out of it. It's a great little tune. Mm. Um, and mash is just another one of those shows that continues to turn up on uh, best of TV lists. Uh, and for good reason, because according to the Nielsen uh, ratings out of 30 of the highest watched or most watched single broadcasts in America, the super bowl is 29 of those. The other one is the series finale of mash. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually of the top 30. It is the number nine on that list with a viewership of 105,970,000. Yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. And that is an up-to-date list. That's in, that's in 2022, by the way. Wow. Yeah. So mash is on my list. Take that super bowl. <laughs> yeah. All right. The next one, this one, uh, much like in the, in the same vein as, uh, oh, where is it? in the same vein as mash, I put on the price is right uh now the the price is right first or the new price is right as this one is actually called because technically there was a version of the show before this one uh the new price is right first airing in 1972 it is the longest running game show in tv history mm-hmm. um not only that with the 50 seasons that it has under its belt the price is right is the eighth longest running television show of all time a title that it shares with a British soap opera called Emmerdale. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So eighth longest uh, TV show of all time. And it's still awesome. I love it. Oh, spayed or neutered. Fun fact. It's a, the current series is actually directed by a guy by the name of Adam Sandler. Really? Not that Adam Sandler, but a different, yeah, different Adam Sandler. All right. And then uh, this one. Okay. I uh, I had Boba Fett on my, uh, on my list as my number 10. And I said, I liked it more than the Mandalorian, but I like the Mandalorian enough to give it an honorable mention. (laughs) 
can't wait for season three. Uh, me too. The Mandalorian, a huge departure from uh, the John Williams-esque music that we've sort of experienced in most of Star Wars in the big films, uh, even including like Rogue One and Solo mm. to some degree. Um, but the Mandalorian theme, if you, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like the truth is for some of the fans, the Mandalorian was a big palate cleanser after what the sequel trilogy was. And I think the theme is, is part of that. And it works so well uh, as a Western motif. Totally. So, yeah. The Mandalorian gets an honorable mention and the last honorable mention on my list for no particular reason, other than I love it is uh, not well. It, yeah. Thank you for being a friend. It's the golden girls. And I will say no more about it. You know why you love it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Holy cow. That was, uh, what? That's our numbers 10 through two. Yes. All of our honorable mentions. Which oh my God. Us to the number us one all the way down here to the number one slot. Yeah. I don't know. Are you ready for this? I think so. Do you think the fans are ready for this? I think they're ready. <laughs> I hope you are ready for this because I've been waiting. Uh, my number one shot up. It's a very recent show. It's, uh, basically come out of nowhere for me but this is like a staple now on my list okay peacemaker okay you want to taste it by wigwam i love it <laughs> i love it to be fair though the entire soundtrack to peacemaker is phenomenal it is a mix of 80s hair metal glam rock and obscure hits from a bunch of bands out of europe the song itself, Do You Want to Taste It, Hit, was originally released as part of the band's third studio album titled Nonstop Rock and Roll back in 2010. Oh, wow. So it's been floating around for a while. Yeah, yeah. Obviously under my radar. Writer-director James Gunn has, he started collecting a list of music for Peacemaker long before he ever started writing the show. Okay. And he's on record saying that Do You Want to Taste It had the perfect lyrics for the show. And besides that song, nothing else was in consideration for the theme. Really? Yeah. Oh, so, good for uh, him stuck to his guns on that one uh gun in, stuck to his guns that's right da -dum -dum. Uh, in an interview with uh, rolling stone gun told them that do you want to taste it felt like the de facto peacemaker theme song right from the start and should you want to check it out along with the rest of the soundtrack for yourself <laughs> uh, i highly recommend you do james gunn has gone out and he has released the soundtrack on spotify god God bless that guy for doing that. It's yeah. kind of my inspiration for wanting to put our stuff out because it's like, how do you get it out there to people? Yeah. Well, well, what a, what a great idea. And what he did, he went through and updated it weekly to include the new tracks from each new from episode. Each week's episode. Yeah. With, well, that's brilliant. Uh, the modern day Norwegian glam metal hit leading the way. So uh, <laughs> that's brilliant. Totally. Do you want to taste it from Peacemaker? Oh, coming back for a second season. Uh, really enjoyed the first season. Can't wait one. for yeah, it. Me too. Me too. Wow, uh, that is a super, it's funny because I started the list with a song from 2022 and you ended it with a song from 2022. So I'm really, that's impressive to me uh, that my worst and your best were both from this year. Uh, my best does not come from this year. In fact, it, it comes from, well, we're hitting the Wayback Machine one more time. And uh, it's not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's not. It's a little closer to home. Well, at least they tried to get closer to the home uh, in 1978's Battlestar Galactica. Ah, oh, another one. I love this song. I love this song more than man in terms of like 
thematic like orchestral scores this one is up there with star wars and superman for me like it is top three and depending on what day it is it could be my number one like favorite of all time this one again this one's composed by Stu phillips and this was the uh, another show from glenn larson <laughs> what can i say about this if you're not a Battlestar fan you might find this surprising or maybe you already know this but uh when star wars came out in 1977 uh it's no secret that everybody was scrambling to get a little piece of that star wars cheese everybody wanted it and uh nbc universal was no different so they came out with this song Battlestar Galactica which by the way uh they had contracted a bunch of the same people who worked on Star Wars to uh, to get that effect including Ralph McQuarrie for concept art oh jeez and John Dykstra for uh model making and special effects well uh it turns out 20th Century Fox the distributor for Star Wars thought that Battlestar had enough similarity to Star Wars they ended up suing Universal, claiming that uh, they stole 34 distinct ideas from Star Wars. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because that lawsuit was actually settled without going to trial. Hmm. And let's face it, I mean, looking back at it today, even a layperson can see that the instances of characters and plot elements and the political situations that Fox claimed were stolen were already lifted from other established properties. We all know and accept today that Star Wars is not an original concept. No, I mean the whole space western samurai fantasy movie. Come on, there's uh, nothing original anymore. Everything is influenced. Everything by is derivative of something. Right, right, right. And from the reading I did for the research on this piece, most experts now agree that had they actually gone to trial. Universal almost certainly would have had a favorable judgment. That would have changed everything. Well, but now I'm gonna I'm gonna just remind you. Remember, this was settled out of court without a trial. Now you can infer whatever you want from that, but the truth is that Battlestar Galactica was canceled in 1979, and the following year, The Empire Strikes uh, Strikes Back went into theaters. So maybe The Empire really did strike back. Uh, how much money did Fox pay Universal to just can their own show? Hmm. I'm betting you that's kind of what happened because like you say, if they had gone to court, they probably would have won their case hmm. and Battlestar might've gotten another season. Uh, not, not counting the Galactica 1980 that a lot of people really, really don't like, uh, which also uses the a version of the Galactica theme song. Hmm. All right. But I will say this, there is no denying that the Battlestar Galactica theme is like very John Williams, like uh, with the way that it's very sweeping. Uh, it's an epic with all the fanfare of Star Wars, but wrapped up in a more military march package. Now, uh, in 2004, when Battlestar got the reboot treatment, it ended up retaining a lot of the elements of the 1979 series. But sadly, that Stu Phillips original theme, which arguably is one of the best parts of the series, it wasn't one of them. But that all changed for season two in 2006 because composer Bear McCreary Ooh. who you may have heard uh, in some other stuff recently. He just did a Masters of the Universe revelation at Netflix. Uh, he actually adapted and expanded Philip's original theme, and he gave it an in-universe meaning. So if you've ever watched the new Battlestar Galactica, he made it the national anthem for the 12 colonies of man. That's cool. Yeah, it's super, super cool. And of course, it's got all the Bear McCreary trappings, like the Tycho drums, and it just has this more like, 
ethereal feel to it but still retains the the sweeping it's awesome i highly recommend you go and check it out well you know we like that the show here where you take older stuff recontextualize it i know just breathes new (laughs) life into it oh battlestar is so important to me um and the reason this is why it hits my number one i was too young to go and see star wars when it came out uh i was born in 74 it came out in 77 i didn't actually see star wars until 1980 uh, and that was at a friend's house on VHS. But I do remember Battlestar in its original broadcast run. I do remember episodes of it. And I remember watching it later on uh, in reruns. And at six years old, there's no denying it was the most amazing thing that I had ever seen. And uh, yeah, having seen it at such a young age and, and you know having, you know, having this place in my heart for it, uh, even today with it being like the super campiest, you know, one of the super campiest, uh, space epics you've ever seen, or maybe you haven't, it still remains, uh, a hit and a number one in my life. And I cannot wait because there is another television, uh, project on the works as well as a, uh, a film. So really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with that in the future, but that everybody is my number one. Excellent. Wow, what a rundown that was. Where are we at here for time? I don't even know what time we're at. Do you know we're just about to one hour and a half. Oh, so we're pretty much in line with where we were where blah, blah, where we were last week on the mm. last episode. Well, same amount. Very much. Uh yeah. Again, another like super, super fun one. I really enjoyed doing this. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Do we take a, a, another crack at it next week? I think we could. We do uh it's, it's car- kind of like a, kid a historical journey where you get to relive all of your favorites. Well, it's funny because, you know, we, we spend a certain amount of time in episode prep and, uh, there's a certain amount of like, we obviously, uh, and our fans know that we do a certain amount of, of talking sort of behind the scenes to coordinate this stuff. But really these last two episodes, we've really been like tight lipped about like, you do your thing. I'll you do put mine. your list together, send it to me, you know, a day ahead so that I have enough time to put the clips together. But outside of that, I have no prior knowledge to what you're going to pick and you don't know what I'm picking. So really surprising two in a row, no crossover. Yeah. Wow. I don't think we're going to be so lucky three times in a row. No, especially I mean, if we're doing kids shows and cartoons and stuff. Cause I think yeah, we're definitely definitely going to be some crossover. There. We're definitely going to have some crossover. Sean Colbert. My uncle took me to see star Wars when it was in theaters back in 77. Nice. Again, I was just too young for the experience uh, to get it in 77. I would have loved to have seen it in 77. I wasn't alive. I will say this. I did when uh, the special edition came out in what? 90 somewhere. 97 somewhere year, year before the Phantom Menace. Yeah. I was in line on opening night because I wanted to make sure that I got that theater experience that everybody else had in 77. So I was there on opening night for every movie when the special edition came out. And I know that again, people like or don't like it but hey i got the theater experience and that's what i wanted steve says great podcast guys brings back a lot of childhood memories well steve hang out with us a little bit more because next week we're going to come back where we're going to do the our top 10 oh hopefully we can get 10 uh top that'll be easy top 10 ish (laughs) kids theme songs kids shows cartoons something or other we'll get saturday morning specials sure saturday morning what about syndicated tv hmm because well, if you're going to do that, you couldn't include things like He-Man because that was a weekly, that was a syndicated show. Hmm. 
that was a yeah Monday to Friday. Well, that'll be included. Oh yeah, we're gonna have to put all that stuff. All <laughs> right, well, stay tuned for that. That's gonna that's coming up uh, same time next week. And don't forget tomorrow, five p.m. Eastern time. Uh, check out our social media. Hit the link to get the Spotify playlist of all the songs we talked about tonight. And as usual, everybody, we got way more uh, more coming down the pipe for you. So uh, thanks for sticking with us tonight. For Phantom Power, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. <laughs>